My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Wonder. The, the Decision. The Spy. The Departure. The Sick. The Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Mutation. The Deception. The Suspicion. Resistance. The Extreme Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Beginning. And my name is Katie. Yay! Welcome, Katie! <laughs> Another Thank guest you. star. We're so excited to have you. I'm really excited to be here. Hooray. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, you're very welcome. <laughs> uh, do you want to tell us something about your experience with Animorphs? So, I actually never read the books when I was a kid. Okay. I saw the covers in my elementary school library, and I thought they were creepy and off-putting. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why you would think that. That's weird. And, and I wasn't correct. particularly eager to see what was inside. <laughs> Actually, one thing when I did start reading them that I was surprised to learn was that the Andalites were good. Character that Axe was a good character. Because looks scary. He, yeah. Oh my god. One of the first covers I yeah. ever saw had Axe on it. And I was like, okay, that was one that I actually did chance to read the back because I remember the word yerk. And I was like, okay, that's a yerk. That's gotta be. That is the most evil looking creature I've ever, ever laid eyes on (laughs) in my nine years of living. The Andalites would be so offended by this. I know they would. I know. And I apologize to Axe because now he's my favorite of the children. But that's a bad image. I just don't like looking at that. <laughs> okay, but I know you've drawn a lot of Andalite, so clearly have, you came around on the general aesthetic. I do, because I saw the book cover and I was like, you know what, I love, because like, I actually, the way I got into the series was I started listening to a podcast about it at work. I was listening to it and I realized Axe was my favorite child and I was like, you know what, I have to do this boy some justice. I actually have to draw him, you know, because I had mental images for all the kids. Like, if I drew them, what would they look like? And so I had to draw Axe, and I had to try, like, this is my personal challenge. I'm going to make an Andalite look cute. Aww. <laughs> you succeeded. Thank I love you. your Andalite drawings. Aww, yeah. Thanks so much. It's, like, been my number one fandom goal. It's, like, if I leave one thing behind. I think you've reached it. In this you corner of the it. earth. Thank you. So now you've read all the books. I have. Actually, I think there are still some that I haven't read. <laughs> so my Animorphs journey went, I listened to this other podcast, Morph Club, and I listened to all of it. Mm-hmm. And there were some episodes where I was like, you know what? I don't know if I'll pull the PDF up for that one. And then I didn't. Yeah. yeah. I know what happens, though. Because I listened listen to, to it. Podcasts. Yeah, filter through other people's interpretations of it. Well, that's a great way to get to know the series, listeners. It, just so it you is. Know. It is actually. It actually really helped me. Because I don't feel like if I'd started reading it just on my own as an adult without someone else's nostalgia to kind of fuel me and make me mm. curious, I think I might have been like, oh, because Jake's narration in book one, he's, you know, I love him. He's a he's a good boy. He's not the most thrilling narrator. And like the books do have kind of that like simpler language because they're middle grade fiction. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know if I would have been as gung-ho to just plow through the entire 54-plus book series if I hadn't already been like, okay, here's, like, you know, other people who love it, too. I'm going to listen along and then sort of catch their contagious enthusiasm. I feel like I love that side of it, too, like, reading kids' fiction as an adult. But also, like, that's a perspective that I'm missing is, like, what did I think about these stories when I was a child? And that's what you guys have. All I can bring is me as an adult... Like, thinking critically, like, with my, you know, adult perspective and my adult worries and priorities, how do I interpret these stories? 
So it's really cool to hear like, you know, the like two sides of it. Yeah. We're glad you brought your side of it here with us today. <laughs> Thank you. So we read the decision this week. We did read the decision. Yeah. Do you, do you guys want to hear what happened in it? I would love to. I know you all read it very recently, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Can you keep it okay. to 60 seconds? Of course I'm you can. Gonna... Why, Why would you even ask? I am the most efficient summarizer. First, wait, oh, okay. wait, before we do anything, I have to do the flip book and I okay. want it to come on the microphone because I've never done a flip book before. I've never. Oh, okay. This can also be part of our ASMR channel. So oh, there we go. Exactly. Animorphs ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> so I've never <laughs> I've never actually held a physical Animorphs book with the intent to open it and read what's inside. <laughs> so it's a very exciting moment for Katie. It's a very exciting moment. Alright. Even the book morphs. Flip the pages and check it out. I will. There he goes. Is he becoming a mosquito? He is. It's awful. He looks Whoa. like a lizard. And now he looks like a mosquito. And now he's I kind very of forgot small that there are gone. like 120 like, steps there along are. the way. There's yeah. like, through the book. Look at this very bad middle stage. Yeah, it's I really just no good. I just never paid attention to the, the, the corner. Thing is, it's just... all the worst parts of the covers, but tiny. Yeah, at least <laughs> you can't see any of the details. Exactly. It's just the silhouettes. All right. Okay, so this book opens on a really delightful opening caper that involves Axe eating an entire tray of cinnamon rolls and then getting taken away by the paramedics. God, this so stupid boy, I love him so it's much. It's just a great start. Really solid start. So <laughs> then they're all in Cassie's barn. They meet with Eric the Chi, who tells them that the second highest ranked member of the Secret Service, whose name is Hewlett Aldershot III, is in a local hospital. No one knows he's there, and it's a hospital that is heavily infested by controllers, and he's there because Chapman ran into him with his car. <laughs> we haven't seen Chapman in a while. It's fun. So they're like, oh no, we have to keep the Yerks from infesting him. They could have this great plan of, like, you know, getting info to the president and everything. And then they're like, wait, what if we morph him and then we get info to the president and tell them about the invasion? So they're like, well, but how are we going to acquire him? There are all these controllers. They're like, ah, oh, we know. We're going to morph mosquitoes, get a sample of his blood, which, by the way, Gray predicted, and <laughs> acquire him. So they morph mosquitoes. There's this whole thing where, like, in order to get into the room, they need a distraction. So Axe ends up running through the hospital as an Andalite, telling the Yerks he wants to defect. And then when they're like, you do? He's like, no, sorry. And he, like, knocks them all out and jumps out through a window. And then he morphs the mosquitoes. They're all mosquitoes biting Hewlett Aldershot the third. And then all of a sudden, there's like a pop and they're all in Z-space. And their bodies aren't like lumpy conglomerations of their flesh at all. They're like intact, which is a scientific breakthrough. Uh, but a, an Andalite ship was going by and it picked them up in, in its wake and they're all dying because there's no air in Z-space. And so the Andalite ship takes them in. Uh, Axe, you know, gets debriefed by the commanding officers and is like, okay, I have to obey them now. And the humans are like, really? You do? Okay. He's like, yes, you stay here in this room. I'll, you know, and they disobey him and end up uh, being in morph on the bridge when the captain of the Andalite vessel betrays the Andalites. So the ship is headed to Lyra, which also Gray predicted. <laughs> yes. Gray was very good at predicting this book. So they're going to Lyra. There's, the, there's open war on Lyra. The Andalites are really outnumbered. This ship is going to go help. But the captain of the Andalite ship is a traitor. Which Gray also predicted. Great. A few Holy episodes. Sh- I forgot Not for that. this episode, but a while back. 
God, Gray, you rock. Thank you. So they land behind Yurk lines, and like basically all these Andalites are gonna get taken over. But the um, the tactical officer manages to actually vaporize the captain, and is like, okay, there's nothing else we can do. We're gonna have to self destruct. But you, Animorphs and Axe, you should escape and get the news of this treachery to the Andalite commander. So they more flies get out of there. The ship blows up with all the Andalites on board. And the Animorphs are kind of on the battlefield of this one continent of Lyra. And they see sort of the Andalites lose and abandon the continent. And Axe is like, oh crap, the Yurks have won. And he's going through this whole loyalty crisis where he's like, okay, I guess I will. I'll, I'll obey you, Prince Jake. I've lost faith in, you know, the Andalites. And then he has this brainstorm where he's like, wait, why do the Lyrans even need the continent? They live in the water. They have all these cities in the water. I bet the Andalites purposefully abandoned the continent and are going to blow it up. But no one else could possibly have guessed this. And I can't let anyone know. We have to go find the Andalite commander immediately. And uh, so they go. And while they're going, Tobias disappears. And he's just gone. Axe is looking at him and then he's gone. So that's very alarming. And then the same thing happens to Rachel. So they're very disconcerted. They go underwater um, as sharks, the four of them who are left. And they run into some Lyran controllers. And, of course, the Lyran controllers know immediately that they're humans and attack them. And they end up realizing, like, the Lyrans kind of tell them that they can bite the Yurks out of the Lyrans' heads. So they do that, and that's cool. So then they go into the City of Worms and meet with the Andalite, like, the commander, the, the guy who's in charge of this whole operation. And Axe has this really cool moment where he's like, I'm sorry, this, this human is my prince. I have to obey him, and it's great. And they get interviewed about the treachery and about this weird Z-space science thing because it's just blowing all the Andalites' minds. And they get sent on this mission to arm the bomb that's supposed to blow up the continent because the Andalites lost faster than they should have because of the treachery. And they didn't have time to actually arm the bomb. And they're like, you guys have the best morphs. You have to go do this. So they're like, yeah, definitely. We're all about this. And then Marco disappears. And they're like, ah, we're all disappearing so fast. And the Andalite scientists theorize there's like a snapback effect that they're getting sent either back to their own bodies or just back to Z-Space, which would be way worse. They're not really sure. So Cassie, Jake, and Axe go on this sort of dangerous journey up a river to this like bright hole, which is this cave full of phosphorescence where the bomb is, and, you know, fight some Yerks along the way. And so the Yerks know about their plan because the Lyrans read it in the Animorphs' minds. And uh, so they're like racing against time. And then Cassie disappears and then Jake disappears. And it's just Axe. And he's like running through the cave towards the bomb. And then the Yerks blow through the ceiling of the, the bright hole and just like Horde controllers fall down. And Axe is like fighting against them and like arming the bomb. And he arms the bomb and it's supposed to go off in 30 minutes. He's like, no, that's too late. The Yerks will like disarm it by then. So he has it go off in 10 seconds even though he's still there and the Harkbutcher get him and they're about to shoot him and they do shoot him and the Dracon beam is going towards his face and he can see it and then it freezes and all of a sudden he pops back to his own body. So presumably it blew up and, you know, that all went well. But he's a mosquito again. They've all snapped back to the exact same moment. Uh, Axe is like biting this guy's arm and the controllers are still shooting at him out the window because they think he's there. And, and then Hewlett Aldershot III wakes up. And, and the controller's like, what's going on? He's awake. Oh no, the police are coming. We don't know what to do. Everyone run. So I guess Hewlett is okay. He's going to be spared. And uh, the Animorphs all retreat. And I guess they don't decide to morph him. They just throw away that plan. They had bigger things going on in this book. And uh, yeah, so that's it. You know, <coughs> 60 seconds exactly. Super good at that. Beautiful. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Really <laughs> well done. Although you forgot the part where Axe and Visser 3 fight on top of a McDonald's. <laughs> oh my gosh. How did I forget that? <laughs> Highlights in this book. Oh yeah, we'll come, we'll come back. Right, around. I forgot that they go into his room twice. It, so yeah. much happens. 
So much happens. Hi. I, just, I just want, so this is one of the books where Marco summarizes the plot at the end <laughs> in exasperated tone. Oh, so okay. I just want to give you Marco's take on it, which is yes. us turning into mosquitoes to suck some guy's blood so we can morph into him and instead ending up in the middle of some war to control psychic yellow frogs. And oh, by the way, blowing up a small continent full of yurks, saving an entire species, then getting back here to find out Coma Man woke up from a, a mosquito bite delivered by a morphed alien slash deer slash scorpion slash four-eyed centaur. That's all totally normal. <laughs> great what did you think of this book uh i thought that i was very proud of myself for predicting uh, something yeah so well that was incredible you did such a good job uh, it was it was good it was very funny a lot of things happened people made as usual terrible decisions pretty consistently <laughs> throughout the whole book. so what was the decision and was it terrible my theory is because <laughs> this was my first question after having read it the first time was mm-hmm. what exactly is the decision? And I think the decision is whom acts will serve. Yeah. Uh-huh. With him. yeah. And it's Jake. Yeah. And not the Andalites. Which great. Good decision. That was yeah. a very good decision. Good job, Axe. You, you, um, one one time you made a good choice. Yes. There was a lot in here that I, at, towards the end that I really liked that was very explicit about the found family aspects of this, yeah. which, uh-huh. as we know, is one of my very right. favorite things. Really That's nice. the button. Yeah. It was so and good. Yeah. I, I really loved how well they hit that. And then when I went through to, to read it again, there's enough of that kind of dropped in at the beginning where Axe is like, but who is my family? Yeah. I guess I'll find out. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you did. Yeah, yeah so much found family. Mm-hmm. I yeah. liked that. It's Another book where the Animorphs, like, win unconditionally, mm-hmm. right? It's like 13 yeah. is a big win. This and you know who win. didn't give it to them this time? The Elmas. Oh. <laughs> Are we sure? We'll get into that. I have some thoughts. Okay. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa. But uh, it's also a really great Jake book. All the Jake stuff is amazing. Yeah. Jake and Axe's relationship Jake is amazing. Yes. And I was yeah. thinking so many times during this book, I was like, this is an amazing sci-fi romp. Everything that happens yes. is mm-hmm. super like cinematic. I just want an Animorphs animated series with like Axe and Visser 3 fighting on the McDonald's yes. and like the underwater city and all of the like, you know, exobiology stuff. Oh, it's yeah. so cool. The bright hole at the yes. end. Yes. Oh my God. So That's cool. a great term. The hork right coming down. They have rockets on their blades <laughs> and their to like tails. slow the fall. They have rockets on their tails yeah, too. It's so cool. Because they have, you know, two legs but a tail for stability. Exactly. Like they fly through it like pitch dark fighting these echolocating eel snakes. Yes. It's so weird. I was I so that. happy that they finally went to space when I first <laughs> yeah. read this, or first read yeah, or like listened to this They kind of went in book five, but like it barely went to yeah, space. That's barely space. So Katie, what what's your take on this book? So I've actually uh, read that this is a point of criticism some people have about Axe is that he's yeah. too wishy-washy. Like, oh no, he always like betrays his friends and then he doesn't and then he does again and he doesn't. I'm sick of it. I never get sick of it. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I love characters who have a ton of inner conflict and especially mm-hmm. Axe, who's a character who's so driven by the need to have orders to follow. Yeah. Like one of the truest Axe moments or one that like sticks out in my mind in this book is when after the Escalon disaster and then they try and join in on the battlefield and that's also a disaster. Mm. So they've just watched a whole bunch of people die and then Tobias vanishes. Jake turns to Axe and he's like, Axe, what do we do? As in like, you're the only alien who's ever been in space out of all (laughs) of us. What the heck? And Axe is just like frozen and panicked and in shock. And he just sort of stammers out, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And that's like, that's his worst fear is not having yeah. a plan to follow. Having to make his own orders in yeah. a situation where he doesn't <laughs> yeah. understand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so I love so like moments when he has to make choices. He can't just look for the closest authority figure. 
And he's genuinely torn. I yes. separated that. I was keeping track of like Axe the Human versus Axe the Andalite because he had he feels both sides, and it's not like a real straight line. Like he yeah. ends up making an explicit promise to Jake that he's he's not going to sort of he's going to follow him until Jake says it's time for him to follow someone else, right? Yeah. But he still has these feelings that pull him in different directions about like honor and. And I feel like that's really like I feel like that's really sympathetic and really like I can really understand that. Like, I can see how some people might, you know, feel frustrated with him or, like, don't want to trust him. Like, like look at this character. Like, he can't, you know, see that the right choice is to stick with his new human friends. But he's been raised his whole life in this really rigid culture. And also he's stranded on an alien planet extremely far from home. Yeah. And who wouldn't want to, like, if they were just, you know, forget the war, if you were just a kid alone in a very unfamiliar place, wouldn't you just want to go home? Wouldn't you want to just see people who looked and acted and thought like you again? And, yeah. yeah. And, And like, from our perspective, like, we love the Animorphs and we want Axe to be a part of that, but, like, that's Mm. still really foreign and alienating to him. Yeah. Like, it's not necessarily the right choice for him to do that. Yeah. Like, even when he's feeling the most loyal to his new friends, he's still he's still the alien. Like, in choosing to be loyal to them, he's committing to a really unstable identity. Mm. And don't they always yeah. say the Animorphs and Axe? Yeah, right? which like, is garbage. I always think he's one of the Animorphs. No, I know, but I feel, like, I feel like it's, you know... He's always a little bit on the edge. Yeah, and he has this whole thing about, like, he thinks maybe it's wrong to be, like, this tied to the humans. Like, mm-hmm. he's, you know, Captain Similan had sold out to the Yerks. Was I selling out to the humans? Which is sort of a false equivalency. Like, yeah. the humans are not the enemies of the Andalites. He's not betraying the Andalites by siding with the humans. Yeah. But it is sort of giving up, making your primary loyalty not to the species of your birth. Mm-hmm. Especially really... since one of the, um, I think it's the T.O. who voices this sort of which is like part of the thesis of this book the first half of this very andalite philosophy different species do not fight well together yeah and then he sort of changes his tune right before he blows up the ship and it's like maybe maybe it can work i hope it does but yeah like i feel like that ties in with like what you're saying about like axe feeling like you know having this false equivalence from his perspective maybe it's not such a false equivalence because there's this very black and white there are the andalites then there's everybody else I mean, I think he is betraying the Andalites. <laughs> the Andalites are like a smug imperialist monoculture. Yeah. Right? Like, like, they don't celebrate diversity in any way, right? Mm-hmm. They, it, it, and we've only really seen the military piece of it, right? So it's kind yeah. of maybe a narrow slice or whatever. But mm-hmm. they all are supposed to like think alike and follow orders and like independence isn't yeah. really valued. But mm-hmm. acts like he loves being a human. Yeah. He loves taste, right? We've talked about he likes expressing himself. He starts to develop a sense of humor in this mm-hmm. book, right? So like... If the war ends one day and he gets to go home and be with the other Andalites, he's going to be really weird. And he's yeah. going to have all of these weird ideas that came from his time yeah, spent on Earth. Yeah, exactly. Like, and of course, we're all going to say those are better ideas, right? Mm-hmm. But that he'll be torn between two worlds. There's like, there's a point where even, you know, this quote unquote early in the series when he still feels so much loyalty to his own people and he like has that moment of panic and being was like, oh, but, you know, Jake can't be my prince anymore. The Andalites are here. I'm here surrounded by them. But then later on, when Jake makes some pretty dark jokes to, oh no, what's the <laughs> general guy's name again? Galuit. Galuit? Right, Galuit. I always just kind of said Galoot. Galoot. <laughs> which is probably not how he would like Galoot. it to be said. <laughs> Galoot. There you go, he's French. 
but Axe has to be like, oh, that's just that's just human humor. And he like sort of translates for Jake. So he's more human than he realizes, I and think. The bit that jumps out to me is he uses humor when he's causing that distraction against yes. the Yerks. He's like, oh, yeah. um, oh, excuse me, I'd like to defect. Is there a membership fee? <laughs> yes. Are there any pamphlets I could read? Human yes. humor so is often expressing the opposite of what one wishes, right. as yes. we learn. Right. I so love funny. him so much. I love how like just dry and matter of fact he is. He's just so earnest. So okay. before we get to his humor, yeah, <laughs> I did want to say one other thing about his thing where he follows orders. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I think the the point you guys were making about like if actually siding this much with the humans is sort of a betrayal of a fundamental principle of Andalite culture, then it does require a lot for him to make this choice. And I think when he does make this choice, he's like, I will consider Jake my prince until he says otherwise, which is like a really big commitment. Mm-hmm. I think it's largely in response to his panic at not having orders to follow. Like, Aww. I think that's a big part of what drives him into making that choice because he needs yeah. something kind of big to push him at that moment. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely true. Yeah, but like, I mean, I don't think that makes it not genuine, but mm-hmm. I do think that is a big part of why he's able to do it right then. Yeah. So I, I had a slightly different take on it, which yeah. is that the motivating factor seemed to me the defection of Captain Similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Similar. Samalin. 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 Yeah, yeah, exactly. Captain Silmarillion. Samalin. Samalin. Okay, let's go with that. Um, Captain Samalin. Because that's what he kind of comes back to a few more times. In yeah, no, you're right. That is also it. that's kind of, piece of it. I follow my prince because my prince knows the correct thing to do. Mm-hmm. And if that's not factual, if that's not actually right, then my entire premise is flawed. So what comes from that? And I think he has that moment when they haven't figured out what to do after the battle. And he's kind of thinking, well, who do I go? Who do I report to now? Who do I go to talk to to tell them what's happening? And what he thinks to is, you know, what if they're also that's a really good also point. but he trusts mm-hmm. Jake he knows Jake right and he's so upset when he has to admit we can trust the commander because yeah. the Yerks killed his whole family but like yeah. we, we can't trust anyone else mm-hmm. and he like he manages to come to that decision yeah, and it exactly. seems like it's really hard for him yeah that's so yeah. devastating to him but no you're right that like the uh, betrayal of the captain is a big part of it and I think it's what sort of makes him flip over from like, oh, my commander is whoever the Andalite hierarchy says it is, because that that was really just shot hollow just now. Mm-hmm. And like now he's like, oh, I have to choose for a commander, the person who I know will make the right decisions. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's exactly. why he chooses Jake. The defection I thought was really interesting because there's this whole dynamic between the captain and the, the TO, the technical officer, who's like his second in command, mm-hmm. where they're kind of good cop, bad copping acts mm-hmm. when he first shows up. So the captain is saying, um, is kind of understanding acts a little bit more and, and being a little bit friendly and also saying acts has to tell them that Alfangor gave the morphing technology to these kids and he doesn't mm-hmm. want to admit it because he's been told not to tell anyone yeah. to kind of take the credit, the blame for it himself, not the credit, mm-hmm. the blame. And uh, he kind of, he, he lies, but he's a very bad liar. It's such a funny scene. It's like so the good. whole interaction is very good. But the, the captain's like, I knew Alfangor. I served with him. He was my friend. Mm-hmm. He may have broken the law, but I don't think he did the wrong thing. Which mm. was very, very good. And Should we find the line at the end of that chapter? Absolutely, please. Because that yeah, stuck out to me when I first... Alfangor was my friend as well as my prince. I believe he broke the rules. I'll never believe he did wrong. I already had it in my notes. Oh my god. Which is so great. And it's like a really interesting 
dynamic because the captain is showing a lot more flexibility than Andalites generally do. And the TO is this very strict, like, you will obey, you will you will serve this prince, you will mm-hmm. shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe Elfingor would do this. And he's very kind of, you know, by the rules, the military guy. And, you know, they met up, they had this whole conversation. I was like, I love this captain. He's so great. Yeah. And then one chapter later, my, my note was like, whoops, no, I don't. Like, okay, so I love yeah, you're that. you're so right. That's, that was my it's, it's the danger of free thinking, yeah. right? Because yeah. we, we, we don't get the answer to why he defects either. So, like, mm-hmm. yeah, we don't find out. he's, don't he's find a out. little gloaty in kind of a yerky way where uh-huh. he's like, oh, Visser 3 and Visser 4, like BFFs. And uh-huh. ha, ha, ha. Which, but, like, that's an interesting question. But we don't, know, right. we don't know what's in it for him. Is it right. personal? Is it money? Is it power? You know, like, I, I, I wrote in my notes he's kind of like pulling a Chapman a little bit. He but is like, pulling a Chapman. We don't know kind of what, what his I take like is here. I like him sort of being the darker side to the book's thesis of see how, you know, different species can actually collaborate, look at Axe and the Animorphs. Yay, go team! Look at Captain Silmarillion. Captain Samlin? <laughs> Samillin? Samillin? Yeah, Captain Samillin. Like look at Captain Samillin in the Yurks. Right. Go team! Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hey, you can collaborate for good and for evil. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And, and I thought it was so interesting that he was uh, a closer friend to Elfangor mm. than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And he's also the traitor, right? So he he's like, I, I totally read that scene as like a genuine interaction where he like, mm. he figures out what Elfangor would have done. But he's like, but actually I would trust him to do the right thing. So that's almost like it maybe somewhere in his head he thinks he's doing the right thing. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. Uh, Galloway at the end also is like, I know Elfangor great warrior right uh-huh. like he's like he didn't know him well but he sort of respected him professionally right. mm-hmm. and he's kind of like i know all about his you know his ex- escapades on earth in like kind of a disapproving way mm-hmm. so even yeah. though gallo ends up being the good guy he doesn't mm-hmm. have elfangor's like open-minded perspective yeah. in the same way so it's a really interesting yeah. nuance it also um we were wondering like when elfangor goes back to the andalites at the end of the andalite chronicles like does he manage to preserve these ideas that he was so committed to or does he just like swallow the you know andalite propaganda and it seems like from what Samillan is saying that like he did really like always stick to his principles mm-hmm. um, right but yeah how does that like why does the person who understands that the most end up being a traitor like is there a connection there is it just like unrelated things yeah and it's mm-hmm. it's so interesting that it's totally unanswered and yeah. like, Axe doesn't really worry about it yeah <laughs> it just kind of gets brushed off if this book was three times as long and written for people our age maybe we would get more of that right maybe they'd yeah. find his like his computer or his heract oh heract yeah you know maybe they i don't know but they don't that That's whole thing i had the exact same awful journey that you did when I first read this book and was like, oh, this captain's chill. (laughs) He's he's not chill. He's very, very unchill. And I think if it were a book written for a different audience, what you might see is the T.O. being the one who's betraying them because the Andalites have stopped following their own rules and therefore my only choice is to defect to the enemy and take them down. Mm. Right? Like that's a more, I think that trope I have seen more often. And so I thought it was really interesting that no, it was the like good guy captain and not the bad guy T.O. It was just like, I loved the whole interaction. I thought it was really interesting. And I do think it's very motivating. Mm-hmm. For, for the rest of the book. Yeah. yeah. And I kind of like how this was in book eight. Back when I was first reading the series, this was fresher in my mind. But when I read book eight, the like the major gut punch moment for me was Axe's space Skype call with Lyrum, yeah. where Lyrum basically looked at this 
terrified child, the only survivor of this huge disaster, stranded behind enemy lines, you know, like a dozens of light years away, and threw him right under the space bus to preserve the valuable legacy of his famous oh older brother. When you put it like that, yeah. it's so bad. It was really so bad. Painful. And that was one of the moments where I was like, oh, dang, these books are good, actually. <laughs> it's an Angelines have some issues. And this was this moment in book 18 where the captain, who was a chill adult ready to help them, turned out to be the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. It was another way this series reinforces you can't depend on adults for help, which yeah, is a very a very young adult fiction thing to do, but this series mm-hmm. does it yeah. especially painfully, really I think, point. which I really appreciate. And it was interesting how the Animorphs sort of absorbed this, like, they sort of thought of Andalites as the good guys, even mm-hmm. after having heard, like, some of Axe's stories. And then when the captain, like, you know, commits treason, Rachel's like, what, we should find more Andalites so that they can betray us? Yes! Which is funny because, like, they've seen so many humans turn on humanity and they mm-hmm. they are able to have this sort of complex view of humans. And they, but they had, I guess, painted Andalites with this sort of yeah. glowy space halo because, I mean, Alfingor was such a yeah. great figure when he showed up in their lives. I mean, he was the good person great in some ways. But no, it's true. And I feel like it's easier to do that when you have these very alien aliens that you haven't mm-hmm. met many of. But it's also just a little bit of, like, the Animorphs have a thing about authority, right? Because, mm. like, I mean, <laughs> Axe didn't true. handle it well. I think they feel betrayed by Axe. Yeah. But, like, because yeah. they they have already snuck out of their prison cell on the Andalite ship by mm-hmm. the time they find out that the captain's a traitor. That's and, true. And yeah, they're kind true. of like, yeah, well, thank, we're here to save you now. Like, come on, Axe, don't worry about <laughs> yeah. it. He's, like, desperately calling out to them, like, your secret will be told. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah we, got we got this. I love that so much. And I remember also being startled when I first read this book, how there was this really sharp break in the team right at this climactic moment where they're all like, when they first get zapped onto the ship and Axe is like, sorry guys, Andalite command structure. I've got more authority figures from my own species here. Um, Bye Jake, you're fired as my prince. And all of them just, there's this sharp sense of betrayal. And then they don't, Tell Axe what they're thinking, what they're gonna do. Well, he yeah, thinks they're staying in their cell. It's a classic animal. Yeah. Go behind the scenes, well, yeah, away that from the protagonist. So it's so good. And it happened in the last X book, mm-hmm. right, where they oh, yeah. stopped trusting yeah, yeah. him yeah. because there was stuff that he was keeping from them. Yeah, and especially Rachel got very shirty about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Rachel has a thing too. with Axe. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. This book was so intense. I don't think we've seen it from her perspective. Yeah. No. But yeah. it's interesting. Rachel's books tend to be about Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> the hostility between Axe and Rachel in this book was incredible. Mm. Where he, like, literally has his blade to her throat at one point. Oh, yeah. And then she just glares at him, just completely Yeah, why? So fearless. some other Andalite trader can rat us out, Rachel said harshly. My tail blade was at her throat before I knew it. Yes. She stared at me with cool blue human eyes. Yes. What's the matter, Axe? Does the truth hurt? And he pulls his tail back, horrified, but, like, she just stays there. Like, she's not just completely, completely like, cool under mm-hmm. the uh, danger. Rachel is so excellent. And the <laughs> like thing about this scene that I love is that Axe, so despite his immaturity in some ways, mm-hmm. he's so ashamed of lashing out in this way right mm-hmm. away. Yeah. Which is, like, a, it's, like, a pretty, he's, like, 
he has to kind of go through it. He can't control his emotions that much. Yeah. Uh-huh. But he kind of recognizes that he's going too far. Yeah. yeah. And like, yeah. He says he's never, Rachel was right. He's never yeah, really considering turning on them. Like, yeah. they're a little no, more betrayed no. by him than he is really thinking about. Like, he's conflicted yeah. about what his role will be in the future with them. Like, should he go back with them? Should he stay? He's not sure. But he's mm-hmm. never... He would never act against them, it seems. Yeah. Right. And, that, just... and that scene, that's the catalyst for when he finally pledges himself to yes. Jake forever. Yeah. Right? So it's like... That's, yeah, that's interesting. The Maybe. other great thing that Rachel does here is there. So right in the aftermath of escaping the Ascalon, Rachel and Marco are turning on Axe. Cassie and Tobias are kind of defending him a little bit, mm-hmm. and Rachel's kind of like, "What are we doing now, Axe? Come on, like, what are we doing now?" And then Jake's like, "We just need to chill." <laughs> and then, good job, Jake. They silently fly as birds, and Axe is like, "Oh my god, this is worse." I'm just thinking. I wish people were yelling at me. And then when they all demorph, Rachel's like, "I'm calm now. What are we gonna do?" <laughs> <laughs> That's the scariest That's thing you could have She's demorphed with all of her Rachel? many, many it's teeth. It's like so passive-aggressive. <laughs> it's Rachel's funny, we've seen, we've seen Marco play this role with Jake several times, where Jake is sort of freaking out, and Marco's like, you got us into this, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. Like, several times. And it seems like Rachel is the person who plays that role with Axe. Mm-hmm. Maybe Marco a little bit, too, mm-hmm. sometimes. But mm-hmm. we see Rachel do it a lot here. I really love how intimidated by Rachel Axe is, just like constantly. <laughs> and there's a point soon after she just stares him down when he could literally take her head off, where they're going through some dangerous, like where they're flying as bats or something. And someone, like, there's a line like Marco screamed or some Marco thing that he did. And then Rachel laughed her feral laugh or something. Oh, yeah. I forget yeah, where that feral, was. Feral, dangerous laugh. Yes! Yeah. Rachel's so terrified, guys. That. I love it. Rachel I scares Axe. <laughs> I love it so much. She should. And, Rachel scares um, me. Even in a good and way. earlier, so like before Axe's moment of indecision, um, he is trying to tell them what to do. And Rachel's like, sure, buddy. <laughs> like, she, like, Axe's like, let's do this. And Rachel's just like, oh, what does Jake think? <laughs> and, like, yeah. So she's like, turns away disdainfully. Yeah. So good. And I love how they're not like all just the same level of like, like, oh, we're a team. We're all cute friends. Like, no, there's tension and conflict and uncomfortable stuff. They all have a very distinct relationship to the others. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was really curious about, like, what Applegate and Grant decided, like, why they decided to remove the different people when they did. Oh. Gray has theories. What's your theory? I have a theory. And my theory is that soon after Rachel also gets pulled away, so Uh Rachel and Tobias are gone, is when they morph the Lyrans. Uh-huh. And can read other hundred percent other people's. Oh my god! Whoa! And I then, actually never thought about this at all. And so I, this is my theory. My theory is that this way Rachel and Tobias don't give away their feelings. <laughs> Marco doesn't, doesn't know. I don't think Axe doesn't know. Axe might know. He's because remember, even in book eight, he's like, "You won't tell the others, not even Jake, not even Rachel." Mm-hmm. Uh, it's true. I don't know. He knows that they're close. I don't know yeah. if he knows more. Than but that. like they, they haven't really admitted it out loud yeah. to any of the other animals, and I think that, that they didn't want to. Give it away. I was thinking also they got removed kind of... I mean, Jake gets removed last, which makes sense, because, like, the primary relationship Axe has with anyone in this book is Jake. But they get removed sort of in romantic pairings. So, like, Rachel and Tobias are gone, the first two who go, and then Cassie and Jake are the last two who remain with Axe. And I think it would be more stressful, and they'd probably have to reference it more if, like, Cassie were gone and Jake would have to deal with that. Or, like, you know... Tobias was gone and Rachel had to deal with that for a while, you know. Yeah. It sort of streamlines their experience. That said, I feel like they were all unusually cool 
with yeah, every true. with people randomly disappearing. I feel like if we'd gotten some scientist extremely early on saying there might be a snapback effect, then they <laughs> might have been like, oh, oh, sh- Tobias is gone. Oh, maybe he's on Earth. Maybe he's in Z space. We won't think about that. Yeah. With Tobias and Rachel, they just think they're dead. <laughs> yeah, they don't really process that much. <laughs> Go well, do it. I think they're very much keeping it inside, right? Yeah. Because there's the bit where they when they oh when they morph Lirans. Yeah. Oh. When they yeah. first morph Lirans, one of the things that they. You, he could tell, like, Marco's hoping for news of his mother. He can feel Prince Jake's crushing weight of responsibility. Mm-hmm. The way he kept running things through his mind over and over again, trying to figure out what had happened to Tobias and Rachel, desperate to find a way to protect the rest of us. And I could feel Cassie's mind as she cried for Rachel and Tobias, as she wondered whether we were doing the right thing. Yeah, I think you're right. But it's also, like, it was such a weird thing that they're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, right. they... Yeah. They aren't going to process it until they really believe that something bad has happened to and them. And the other yeah. shoe to drop is going to be them disappearing. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, yeah, I also think yeah. there's the description of... So, like, I feel like, for whatever reason, X is a little removed from it happening. I think mm. if we were hearing the story yeah. from someone else's oh, perspective... Right. I mean, other than X is the protagonist, if he's the last one to snap back, yeah. right? It has to be that way. Yeah. But, like... When Tobias is gone, you just get yeah. a line about Rachel was alternating between raging and crying, right? And so, like, you could imagine a whole chapter where you get Rachel oh, that's losing a really it, good point. right? Yeah. And then after Rachel's gone, there's a bit where, or maybe it's the same bit, but they talk about how, like, Cassie's, like, leaning on Jake She's and Jake keeps kept pacing. kept holding on to Prince yeah. Jake and yeah. he kept pulling away to pace. Um, so mm-hmm. that, like, that whole section... And Axe is kind of like off in his own head, right? But I can sort of imagine that there is a lot more angst going on. And for whatever reason, Axe doesn't, like, worry in that way or, like... He's got a lot on his mind. There's a yeah, lot. I don't know. Yeah. I, I was a little disappointed in him that he didn't I was... reflect on his missing charm. I know. Yeah, like, the was... was the first one to go. And Tobias in this book, like, it's so clear <laughs> how much better, like, how close Tobias and Axe are. Yeah, they have, like, like, private conversations. Yeah, and Tobias is the only one sticking up for him. Like, he he's yeah. defending Axe up until basically no one could defend Axe. Well, and I will just say my one of my favorite Tobias lines, mm-hmm. because we all know I love him. Yeah. Um, he's a good bird. He's a good bird. He's a great bird. There's, <laughs> it's right as he's gotten the, um, as he's holding his tail against Rachel's neck. Axe says, I made a mistake trusting Captain Similan. I made a mistake dismissing all of you. You've kept me alive and befriended me for a long time. All I can say is that none of you knows what it's like to be completely <sighs> cut off from your own people. One of us does, Tobias said oh, quietly. Yes. Knife oh, to the heart! Heartbreaking! <laughs> Tobias! Yeah. And he's so gentle about it, and he yes. stands up for Axe, even though Axe has been kind of a dick. He's really, like, the best person of this team. (laughs) Tobias is that he is. He can be such, like, a, just, like, a pillar of good sense. Pillar of everything, man. And he's so small. (laughs) A tiny pillar. (laughs) Okay, so we're talking about the snapback order. Yeah. Here's my theory for this book. Oh, okay. So when they get to Z-Space, it's like, they're all twisted up and stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of what Elemist Vision looks like, right? Because uh-huh. you can kind of see inside and yeah, around Yeah, like, they're everything. not twisted. It's just you can see yeah. all the parts of them. And that. then there's this bit at the end where, like, it's, like, so dramatic. And Axe gets snapped back, like, right at the moment when yeah. he's about to die, mm-hmm. right? It's like uh-huh. the last second. You know, the, the detonator goes down to the one mm-hmm. second remaining before the countdown stops. Right? It's like that a kind of thing. The beam is actually so, coming towards his face. So, who does this sound like to me? No. This sounds like the kind of shenanigans oh, the honest and full, where it's like, oh, oh no. a, a quote-unquote Z-space accident. Oh, you know, 
Things are all out of whack. We need to get these guys back into their timeline. Oh, you know, oh, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm on it. Okay, oh, I got Tobias, you know, boing, he, like, flicks the rubber band. It's like, oh. Tobias is the most important one. Gotta take care no, of him. No, no, he's like, okay, now I can bring, like, Rachel back. Oh, I, I'm busy. You know, just let him go a little bit further. You know, like, oh, they, they happen to save Lyra? Well, I'm not gonna undo that. Like, you know, he's just, like, basically waiting until it all plays out. Or maybe he's even, like, removing them. Like, if Rachel had been around, she would have screwed something up. So he's like, no, I've gotta get rid of Rachel. She's high risk. He's you running know. a simulation in his mind. Right. Or, oh, Jake's about to get eaten by an eel. I'm gonna save him, <laughs> you know. Uh, there oh goes Axe. But he needs some then, excitement, so he waits okay. until Axe almost gets a Dracon beam right to the face. Where he's like, yeah. all right, and there. I was just like, you can maybe disagree with me, but I, I, the main argument against my theory is that could the Elemist pull this off and not brag about it? No, he would yeah, definitely, he would brag definitely about show it. up. I feel like this is also dangerous to start like giving credit to all these things to the Elemist. Yeah. We could just do it for everything. Let these okay. kids get so little, we have to give them this. <laughs> I mean, the thing where Axe snapped back like right at the exact moment, like the Animorphs get lucky a lot. They've got the power mm-hmm. of narrative on their side. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I wonder if there is some kind of like, I don't know, is near death a trigger for the snapback? I'm not sure why it would be. Also, this is, I think, if I'm counting correctly, version four of time travel. <laughs> right, it is time, it's time travel. It is yeah. time travel. It is. It's just, yeah, okay, so what are, what are the versions? It's a very Asaria Rip-like effect, the snapback thing. We have the Asaria yeah, Rip. rip. We, we have the Elemis, the Elemis just moving them through adding space. five years randomly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and sending them to the fake future in yeah. Yeah. 7. The fake future. Right. Yes, fake With future. The time matrix. The time matrix, and then whatever this is. This, the mosquito oh, effect. But can we get into the, whatever effect. this is? Because we got some amazing oh. phrases about Z-Space here. Uh, yeah, let's talk about Let's <laughs> talk about Actually, wait, before we get into the phraseology, I would just like to get first, Greg, your reaction to the very first page yep. where <laughs> Axe says, the accident that occurred to me has certainly rewritten the science of zero space mass extrusion during morphing. What did you think you were in for at this point? How did you react? I definitely was like, oh no. And then I have in my notes, they pop into Z space. What now, Gray? What now? And then I kept reading this bit. It was like, oh good. This is what we're going to talk about? Are you kidding me? Because the thing is, and this is one of those other minor spoilers that don't matter at all, but I have been ranting and raving about, like, there's just gobs of goo floating in sea space. These bagless mass forms. It doesn't make any sense. And it turns out, no, it's their actual bodies, except that doesn't make Okay, so here's my theory, and I've been waiting to get to 18 so that I can share this, Mm because this is the one where we find out that their bodies are not just all mashed up. Mm -hmm. Like, it seems like what the book sort of tells us, the Andalites are theorizing that a tiny mosquito-sized amount of their mass is still on Earth, but the rest of their mass is in sea sea space. Mm -hmm. So here's the problem with that. If a yerk can control a person who's morphing... Then the year has to be controlling a brain, right? Mm-hmm. The year cannot be controlling the animal brain because it is possible to morph an animal that is too small for that. Like we see Jake as a controller mm-hmm. morphing an ant. Mm-hmm. So the yerk doesn't stay in the animal. The yerk goes with the human into space. So the yerk is interacting with the brain that is in Z space. Now, in order for the brain in Z space to exist, I think their entire body has to go into Z space every time. So when Cassie morphs Rachel, 
I'm pretty sure there has to be at least an entire Cassie's brain in Z-Space, and which I think we would follow. There has to be basically an entire Cassie's body in Z-Space, because if a Yerk had been in Cassie, it would still have been controlling her. Mm-hmm. So all of your mass is replaced. I think all of your mass yeah. is replaced. No matter because, how similar though, you are. With the free-floating mass that's in Z-Space, you pull mass out of Z, your entire body goes in Z-Space, and sort of a gradual replacement process. So, wait, but Axe says there's Thank nothing you. in Z-Space. There's, there's not one spare molecule. Not even the few stray atoms and molecules that float free in regular space. Nothing exists okay. in zero space. No, no, no. So wait, wait, wait. But he has said before the extra that they morph using the extra mass in space. He doesn't know. <laughs> he obviously has no idea what he was, he's talking. About. He had to make that up for a test one day in school, and then failed that test, and then forgot everything. And like yeah. the Andalites also obviously don't know how this works mm-hmm. because they're they do two not know different scientists, which is like, why they think. Part of your mass goes into the thing you morph, but I don't think it does, because that wouldn't make any sense. So where does the extra mass come from? Okay, but he has said before that there's just extra mass in Z-Space. They pumped it in there. (laughs) Zero pumped it in there. (laughs) But there isn't. If there are no molecules... I buy your theory, Jenny. But I think he's just wrong about no molecules, because... Wait, 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 wait. Morphing technology has existed for however many years, and they've got a special word for someone who gets stuck in morph and can't ever get their original body back. So it's happened often enough that they, didn't, they had to make up a word for it. What if whenever you morph something larger than yourself, you pull in mass from all those stuck people floating in Z-space? There's yeah. no way. No. That cannot yeah, be yeah, the yeah. only source. This because the, then the first the person first to morph could of. only morph something smaller than them. Maybe, and that's, um, they would know that. Like, also, that means there's mm. a Tobias body there is. floating out in Z-space. Okay. No, let's talk about the Tobias true. body. Jen, Thanks. if your theory is correct, <laughs> yeah. why doesn't Tobias snap onto Lyra or into Z-space as a bird attached to a boy. Oh, God. I think they're attached through, like, they're not, like, attached by being in the same place in Z-Space. Hmm. I think there's a Tobias body floating somewhere. somewhere. Isn't Tobias' no body where. permanently controlling yes. a bird? Tobias permanently brain. controlling it's, whatever it's a, else it's he's It's controlling morphing. it the way, like, a body in Z-Space controls something in our space, hmm. like, through some sort so of magical Tobias at any tunnel time connection. could be popped back magic. out into his... Boy body. Well, he can't because he's a Nothlet. No, 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 that connection. But that connection is still there, right? So if an Andalite spaceship passed by Tobias's boy body, he could be snapped into it, and he could briefly be in his boy body, but then eventually he'd snap back to the hawk, as we've seen through the snapback effect. And also his snap into his boy body would would be be fun, because he'd be alone and unable unable to breathe. He he wouldn't be able to thought-speak to the ship, so he'd probably die, which is another interesting thing. Like, why is your body fine in Z-space until your consciousness is in it? Hmm. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Nothing about this makes sense. Because the connection to your body on Earth was sort of severed, so like... Maybe, I mean, people use Z-space to travel it has to be a weird time situation in there. Yes. Yeah, I think yes, you're in. True. You must so be in biostasis yeah. unless oh. your consciousness is controlled. Yeah, okay. So, your so situation not, is just frozen. They're so snapping biostasis to like, is stolen from Z space technology. Yes. Yeah. They're frozen in the time when they like started the morph. Or, you know, like mm-hmm. their bodies have basically just arrived. Time doesn't pass in Z space. Well, then how do you think? It. When your consciousness snaps back into your but Z-space body. when you are morphed oh, an animal, you in your brain is still thinking in Z-space. Be- no, no, no. Because consciousness No, no, no. The animorphs, animal. the animorphs universe has to be like a dualistic universe uh, where okay. consciousness exists in like a totally separate... <laughs> yeah. fr- there's no, there's no um, reductionism. You can't uh-huh. reduce 
consciousness to physical bodies in the Animorphs universe. Right. Okay. It explains so much about the common language and how all of the biology mm-hmm. in the universe and is And how Yerks even work yeah. as creatures. So, yeah, it's like yeah, consciousness so isn't even like seen. It's a little bit hand-wavy, yeah. but that's I, that's kind of what I think yeah. about. A little bit, a little bit hand-wavy. <laughs> Just a little bit. I actually like that as, I, I like the idea of consciousness being separate from the brain itself. Mm-hmm. I think that does explain a lot. Mm-hmm. Mostly, yeah. just want to reiterate one more time for the people in the back, it's just magic. <laughs> <laughs> and like scientists invented it. It's science. Oh, great. I think they just got caught in a residual flux field. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, this is going to annihilate every existing theory of morph mass displacement. It'll be a scientific breakthrough. You can tell me all of the science jargon you want. You can bring in all of the scientists. You are not going to convince me that they are not just wizards with staffs. Like, science. They can't carry staffs. Their arms are too weak. Morphing is a very scientific technology. Because the acquiring process only absorbs oh DNA, which is isolated, encapsulated within your own bloodstream in a super low temperature. Oh, God, this and was And thus very cool. stable neutron molecule sphere. Right, exactly, Greg. That makes scientific sense. I know, it's such garbage. As a side note, I read that paragraph to my husband, who is currently researching HIV. And I was like, honey, look. It's your stuff in my book. And oh, I read didn't know about neutron molecule spheres. What the hell did you just read Why to me? know about neutron molecule spheres? He's, He's getting an OHD. He knows all about them. So can you come on the podcast and explain morphing to us, Gray? Yes, and what he's going to do is come into this room and say, it's magic. <laughs> I don't think we can trust that. This is just you being, you know, you would be your mouthpiece. Oh my god, actually, I really... I really did want to talk about the whole acquiring DNA from blood thing. How are they yeah. going to get the blood out That's of the mosquitoes? Wacky. Just, just slot it, right? And then acquire oh, the blood wait, and no. then they... Yeah. It's because in Axe. You <laughs> would have to squeeze it out of Axe. No. That's a little dish. Wait. If he morphs human after having eaten the blood, would it stay in him? Because so it's a foreign substance. Or sorry, not morph human. He no, morphs like animal. Yeah, it's a foreign substance. Right? It would stay So in you'll him. still have the DNA. Does that mean the, the spider was still inside, inside Jake when he morphed out of the lizard? It absolutely it does. was. Oh, does that no. mean all the chili was still inside Axe. <laughs> but wait, wait, we've already seen poison can be morphed away from. Yeah. Which also goes with my theory about like your body replaces the animal's body. It's not that like the animal's body grows into yours. Wait. Yeah, I feel like it's just contradictory because like they can't morph away from the chips in 15, but Jake can morph away from the poison. And we've seen some conflicting stuff like they've morphed to get away from injuries to their human bodies. Mm-hmm. But like also Eric reattached Axe's arm in both. 10, which implies that, like, maybe it wouldn't have just grown back if he'd morphed and morphed back. Mm-hmm. But maybe Eric just wanted to help. I don't when know. I think the Eric T.O. gets his off. tail cut off, yeah, all the Andalites are like, morph. oh, yeah. Oh, and it's like he, he, he would rather die than but, live without his tail. Right, yeah. but couldn't he just morph and demorph? Uh, Galowitz says something later on, he's like, which is also one of my favorite lines well, for implied stuff. He's like, yeah, have a lot of morphs. Yeah, like military Andalites are all morph capable, but none of them, or like a lot of them don't ever acquire morphs because that's more of like but a... But they all so- acquire like the a... one. 
They they do. They yes. get like morphs in Academy or whatever. Yeah. So he had a morph. He could have morphed it. Yeah. One thing I do love, quick aside, is the implication that morphing technology is for spy work. Because yeah. in what universe would an Andalite make a good spy? <laughs> <laughs> but they have to I be their own spies because they don't trust anyone else. Oh, so no one else can spy. Very for good them. point. That's true. But I have to imagine an Andalite spy being. Not very. Okay, but Axe is super good at impersonating a human. He says that's true. So. He's one. He's perfect. Just, He's very. I'm just talented. now imagining like Axe trying to infiltrate the Horkbajir homeworld, oh, and like Horkbajir homeworld is <laughs> like, oh yes, this tree, trees. I will consume I ingest this piece of bark. Uh, speaking of the morphs that all Andalites have, yeah. Oh my god. Oh my gosh. Doesn't make. Yes. Doesn't make any sense. There is an entire part of this book, like several chapters, where Axe's big concern is that Visser 3 is able to morph a kafit bird, which is the bird that only exists on the Andalite homeworld. (laughs) And he is freaking out because it means that Visser 3, the abomination, has been to the Andalite homeworld. (laughs) Super dumb. is an Andalite. (laughs) Right. He was born there. To the Andalite homeworld. He went to a there. A military person. They had to morph the thing, and then they also sometimes morph the bird. And you also got those two birds? Like, what are you talking about? And Tobias is like, maybe someone brought a cookie so. bird off the planet. And, and like, that's the only theory they can come up oh with. Not gosh. that Alarin acquired it before morph. he was infested. He did not spring fully formed on a spaceship. It has obviously been... It was... It was super Three chapters dumb. of maybe like, if we have to hear about this for the rest of the time, <laughs> I'm going to be so mad about it. Right. No, this is a widely acknowledged plot hole. There's that foreshadowing at the beginning where X is like, there's an Andalite traitor. And just the whole time he's thinking, someone gave Mr. Three a bird. Who was that Andalite? Who was the traitor? I'm honestly for this three or four chapters, but is this how we're figuring out that the Andalites... There are traitor Andalites. Is it because someone gave him birth? Because I'm going to be real mad about it. That's how they wanted. They wanted to plant something that would imply that, but like it was very poorly done because that was done. I was so mad. I went back and read that section of Andalite Chronicles because I was like, "Is it a different bird? What are you talking about?" And then I read that. I was like, "No, it says it right." Presumably, Ash has that more. Like, right. unless yes. the commit bird, like, went out of style or something. But. <laughs> this is an untrendy morph now. No one requires this. It was the dumbest thing I've ever heard. God, and I kind of, I like how Axe, like, sometimes there are just things that happen in the books that Axe should have, could have known about. And the reason given in the book is this poor boy is so dumb. And but yet, in this book, that never gets called out. To, yeah. to uncover the super secret plan that he just sort of deduces. Yeah. Being like, oh, the Lyrians don't care about the continent. The Andalites are going to blow it up. No one else could have thought of this. If I get captured, you have to destroy me before the Yerks take me. I feel like maybe for all their bravado and stuffiness, the Andalites just share like a handful of brain cells. And sometimes Axe just gets the whole handful. <laughs> That's what happened in this book for one yeah. shining Whereas moment. in book 11, and he's like, don't worry, I took the computer. It makes like, you idiot, we need them to have the computer. <laughs> and in this one, he manages to, like, he uncover the, the secret plan. But, like, kind of. I mean, he does. He does. But also, the only reason it's a good plan is that the Yerks are somehow even dumber than Axe. <laughs> I mean, the only reason that they get okay. away with this is that they're just 
very but the dumb. would actually definitely point. think that about the Yerks. They'd be like, <laughs> the Yerks will so never come stupid. up with this plan. And they're, they're so stupid. So correct. They're right. Because yeah. the Yerks are, as we see, not only idiots, but they're like very bad at tactics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh good, we have cr- we have won this continent mm-hmm. that we don't really need except for our base to attack the ocean. So we're going to put all of our people on that continent. <laughs> I feel like my way to make, you know, like a more a more charitable interpretation <laughs> for the Yerk's intelligence just and tactical abilities is that they've been so focused on moving from their natural because their natural environment is pools. It's water. You guys swim. Uh, yeah. Why aren't you thinking about the oceans tactically? The answer is they're so focused on transcending their natural forms mm. and but why they consider they fight in space. This whole thing that the TO <laughs> pointed out about like, oh, they want to fight here because, you know, they think if they can take the Lyrans and the Andalites at the same time, they're like con- their tactics will conflict. And mm. I don't know. Yeah. Also, because yeah, maybe if you like- blow up all of your enemies in space, you cannot infest them, which is <laughs> the whole point of this thing that That's you're a doing. Good point. Yeah. That's a good point. The war in general, real fucking dumb. But this one in particular, everything about this is so dumb. Like I, I know that I say this about every other episode, but I just don't understand this whole conflict. It just seems so dumb to me. It's what true. do you mean? The whole conflict where, like... I, I still... You have explained this to me. You have explained it to me well and intelligently. <laughs> and you have done it over and over again. And I'm sorry that I just can't get over this. But what are the Yerks getting out of this? Bodies. Psychic frogs. Why? Because then they can use the Lyrans to automatically... Okay, but not just the Lyrans. Like, the humans yeah. also. Why? You because need, you need a body... They don't want to be slugs. They want to have bodies. <laughs> they want to have larger bodies that can move around and do like have limbs and stuff. You have the taxons. They have given you their bodies. But now the, what do you need? The taxons are bad though. They're, Those they're are horse. bad rides. They're very it's good at, at subtle work. They can <laughs> operate your spaceships. You can go for all kinds of joy yeah, but rides. Like, but then when you have a whole other planet. What do you want? When you're in a taxon, they are hungry all the time. You've got, the, yeah, you got the hunger to deal with. If you're in a human, all you have to deal with is the Humans thirst for cinnamon bones. And that's fine. You can get over that easily. <laughs> Many of us have recovered from the hunger for cinnamon buns. I, I just feel like I want them to have a plan, a goal that mm-hmm. isn't just beyond conquer everything. Yeah, like are you? I kind of like that it's mm. conquer everything. Yeah. Like I read a. I can't give total credit to myself for thinking about this so much. Like I do like the Yorks a lot, so I've thought about this a bit, but. They basically didn't really know a lot about warfare, probably, until the Andalites rolled up. And now suddenly they're set loose across the galaxy and just kind of just going nuts. So, of course, their tactics suck. They don't know how to do it. They never had to do war before. Like, I feel like, I don't know, a lot of times in fiction, or like if you're writing fiction and people are giving you advice, they're like, make sure like your villain has like a goal. Like, oh, he wants power. He has to have power for, he has to want power for a reason. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, maybe he wants power so that he can save his dying mother or like something like that. Or because he like had bad experiences as a child. And I feel like People just want power. Yeah. Like, and, and once you start getting power, you have to keep having power or people are going to take it away from you. And right. that's scary. And Especially so, if you gain power through crawling inside someone's Yeah. Oh, so right. now that the Yerks are trying to take over like any species other than the Geds and I guess the Taxons, they have to then take over all the species or those species that are not taken over will fight them. And, yeah. and not only that, we've seen Visser 3's motivation is to be Visser 1. 
Right, mm. so they're fighting amongst this themselves. This is Visser Four, too. who yeah. is described as being buddy buddy with Visser Three, which is so like really intriguing. Presumably, yeah. similar personality yeah. types. So again, it's like yeah. who cares? Like for the people who are at the top, they don't actually care about lyric bodies. They don't care about strategy. They just want it. He wants to be Visser Three, and then right. Visser Two, and then Visser One, and then mm. on the Council of Thirteen, whatever that is, yes. right? And this makes sense to me, right? I get Visser Three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I don't get is I'm trying to think of one of their names, but like. Yerk two four six zero one. who's just like <laughs> oh, okay, but he needed to steal some bread. His sister's child was close to death, and they were starving. Right? If they don't find the Yerks, they'll starve again. They have to learn the meaning of the law. The, my Do you know the meaning of those nineteen years? A slave of the Yerks. Man. So this Yerk who's just in the pool, right? Mm-hmm. He's in the jacuzzi. Why does he give a shit? It's ascribing an um, individual's motivation for power to an entire species. It's true. And you can't really do that. I feel like the but, empire is so expansive and it's like, it's existed for what, like 40 years at this point? Mm-hmm. There have been Yerks who were just born into the empire. And that's all I know. I feel like when you're kind of, you're born, you're a slug, you're at the mercy of other Yerks who are a higher rank than you who have host bodies. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to do what they say. And like Visser 3 true. especially. Like you just get carted, right? You get carted across the galaxy, dumped into a Yerk pool on Earth. And then presumably it's like, oh yeah, now you're in a hork But like the reason that you're here is because Visser 3's just killed 25 people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So. But that's another good point that I first saw elsewhere is that the Yerks probably didn't have like they probably didn't murder each other a whole lot before they had host bodies because you know when you're a slug in a pool full of other slugs you're all soft you're all small they would have had scarcity yeah Yeah. and for a yerk to kill another yerk it would have had to have been a group of yerks against one it would have had to be like a big deal like an official execution but yeah i guess they didn't have the ability to kill each other yeah they would have had to like i in this post that i read i wish i could remember but um, they would have either, like, you know, you could bury a yerk in the mud at the bottom of the pool through a group effort. You could push a yerk Whoa. onto the shore via group effort. Good Suddenly they get host bodies, and not just host bodies like the Geds. They get, you know, host bodies like hork who have blades and, like, Geds with weapons when they finally decide to kick the Andalites out. And suddenly one yerk can murder another, and they lose it. They get so murder happy. Look mm. at V3 slicing off heads as soon as he gets the chance. <laughs> They're like kids, almost, mm. who suddenly have way too much, like, more power than they ever really knew what to do with culturally. And I think there's also, there seems to be some fundamental drive in the Yerks to have a body that's more than their slug body. Like, they were already taking over the Geds and their homeworld before the Andalites showed up. Mm-hmm. Are there going to be new I hope there are new aliens. I like when we get new aliens. Like the Lyran, who, for whatever reason... The yerk that live in them live in their, like, extra brain on the yeah. back of their neck. So convenient. <laughs> so convenient. So the animorphs in their shark morph can bite that part of their brains off. Oh, the chicken nugget. Ew. <laughs> and then they're free from the yerk and they can just regrow that part of their brain, which is, like... Very convenient. Very convenient. Very, very convenient. So I love the way the Lyrans are described. I love their weird little... I love amphibians in general. Just great animals. Very cute. Have never done anything wrong. They're perfect. Mm-hmm. And I love how the Lyrans can regrow limbs, like an, like an axolotl or something. It made me like the Lyrans a lot more, because they reminded me of one of my favorite animals. I really nice. like the Lyrans. They're, I think, one of my favorite animals so far. They seem like yes. a nice bunch. Yeah, and they have much a much better sense of proportion than the Andalites do. What do you mean? 
Well, the Andalites are so arrogant and... <laughs> So humility is not something you Andalites do, is it? <laughs> exactly. So good. He's correct. And and we've seen in this book, like the tactical officer has that whole like we can't all work together, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And then they meet these Lyrans. Oh, Lyrans are so nice. And the Lyrans are mm. so nice. They're like, thank you so much for saving us from the Yerks. Yeah. Um, it's going to be really difficult, but I think we can do this. They give immediately understand and give permission for the Animorphs to morph them, which right. was yeah. awesome. Thing. Like very understanding, like very um, straightforward about like, you need to do this. This is a great idea. Please do it. Mm-hmm. And then one of the Lyrans has this Such a good passage where sky meets sea, Andalite, human, and Lyran are joined as allies, each with our weaknesses, each with our strengths. The cynical part of me wants to say that's so they can get through this plot faster without getting held up by a bunch of frogs blocking their way and asking them questions every five feet. But I also really love how fine, like, you know, this also gives them a bit of a, a bit of a break in Mm. between all the getting constantly betrayed by strange allies, strange potential allies. Mm-hmm. Finally, they meet, you know, the Lyrans who actually help them and encourage them on their way, like mm-hmm. friendly NPCs through this colorful water dungeon. <laughs> yes. The controller Lyrans are the ones that they're talking to, and they have this sort of brief moment of fighting back against their Yerks yeah. in order to give this information to the Animorphs, which yeah. is very handy. Great job. Yeah. Guys. No, trust us. Seriously, we'll be fine. Just just bite the back of our heads. It's cool. <laughs> I swear. I swear it'll be cool. <laughs> and like the there are a bunch of Lyrans then as they're going through this next part of the, the plot who understand what they are. They've morphed into the Lyrans and just leave them alone. Just get out of their way. Right. Go down other tunnels. Like yeah, the guys. security risk though, if the Lyrans ever do get taken over, even if one of those <coughs> Lyrans get taken over, or someone who was near one of those Lyrans shortly mm-hmm. after, mm-hmm. the Yurks are going to know everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so true. Good thing they win the battle. <coughs> Yay! Yeah. Go team. But like, yeah, the Yurks have to like never get a Lyran again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one thing about that bit where they they get acquired the Lyran morphs, I feel like it says something about Axe too, because he then kind of has this pretty obvious realization where he's like, <laughs> oh yeah, Andalite was just telling me we were weak because we're not united. We don't speak with one voice, but this union doesn't feel weak. And then Marco's like, yeah, well, free people who get together to defend freedom are never weak. Oh, Marco. And then, then Axe is like, you know, I'm starting to like humans. But <laughs> before this, he's thinking like, he's he says like, it moved me somehow, as ludicrous as it might have looked to an outsider. You know, <laughs> yeah. humans he's and still, like, like, Andalite next to these things, psychic frogs, right? It's we still might have weird seemed, to him that these species We might have seemed pathetic, mm-hmm. right? So like, to me, this is like, wow. it, you know, yeah. it's really his, like, Andalite prejudice against, like, other species, cross-cultural, yeah. yeah, cooperation. Yeah. It, it's cool to see him opening his mind to these familiar ideas. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, I did like that. And it's immediately after that that they morph into the Lyrans for the first time mm-hmm. and have that moment where they are able to a little bit read each other's minds. Yeah. It was such a great, like... It's a very good scene. It was a great pause in the action. And then I love how, like, it's this very beautiful, serious moment. They share this, like, this instant of understanding. And then everyone's like, whatever you, whatever you heard, that was fake. <laughs> Those were my real thoughts. And then they turn it off so they're alone with yeah. themselves again. Yeah. I love that. That's what they. Yeah. That's what they need. For humans and Andalites, secrets and lies and the loneliness of privacy mm-hmm. are natural. Also, we haven't talked about the first plot at like at all. 
What's the first like the first half of the book? Oh, where they try and <laughs> the non-Lyra part, the Hewlett plot, as Hewlett. I refer to it in my notes. <laughs> the Hewlett Elder plot, the Hewlett Elder plot. <laughs> I feel like there had to, there just had to have been a more efficient way of getting everyone into Z space. Because <laughs> this also opens up so many bizarre questions about, like, if you have to acquire a morph from, I think it's sort of been implied so far that you have to acquire a morph from a living animal. It can't be dead. Oh. So how can you acquire a morph from blood? Is blood alive? I guess everything's alive when you get down to it, but then if that's the case... Maybe if the what? animal is still alive and you have its blood, that's fine. <laughs> I guess. That's interesting. Have we actually learned that you can't acquire DNA from a Well, they DNA don't actually animal? do it. Like, they have a theory in this book, but they don't actually successfully acquire DNA from Oh, right. right. They don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't get that far. Right. Can I say the, the whole Hewlett-Alder plot where they're going to morph him oh, and then be like, so, Mr. President or whatever, there are these aliens mm-hmm. and they're like... You know, if we said that, he wouldn't believe us. But if he said that, and you're like, there are these aliens, and I can morph a rhino, and then you morph a rhino, like, that would be believable. It's the BFG logic. The BFG logic? Yes. It's when they put Sophie in Queen Elizabeth's window. Oh, the whole doll book BFG. Right. Yes. And they're like, you know, if you just went up to the queen and was like, there are all these giants, she's not going to believe you. But if you went up to the queen and you're like, there are all these giants, and there's this one who's about to come by, and he does, then, you know, she'll believe you. And I just love that they use that logic. But. I feel like it works. I feel like that, like, you know, sure. And it's like in um, the other time travel book. Is in happening, book 11. Right? right, book 11. The Forgotten? Yeah. Heck yeah. Up. I never remember the titles. Okay, so in the but Forgotten. that one was not forgotten. That was not forgotten. Exactly. But yeah, they were like, let's land this bug fighter on the White House lawn. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, sure, you land a spaceship in front of the White House. It's obviously a spaceship. Looks weird. Sure, that might work. I'd Where are you that, going from there? Plot. What, exactly. What, what I love after? about that is that Marco had the idea in book mm-hmm, 11, mm-hmm. but then he didn't get to have the idea because of time travel. And Aww. here, he jumps out of his chair and basically has the same idea. <laughs> he does. He gets right? to have his idea again. He really wants job, to like avoid this whole war. Like, yeah, he wants to. He's looking for the ending, right? Yeah. He's like, not just how do I get through the day? How do I keep the team alive? How do we keep doing small he's, damage? He's the one with the biggest picture right. view. And even back in book three, he's the one that's like, what if we decloak the watership? Then we'll just yeah. end the war, mm-hmm. right? We've only yeah. had, like, two battles. Marco. So if this is the third time he's tried this, does that make it the Hewlett-Alder plot the third? Screw you. <laughs> so can we talk about <laughs> like the Hewlett-Alder plot from the Yurks perspective? <laughs> which is to have the vice principal run over a Secret Service guy with a minivan, and Visser 3 is upset that he's in a coma? What were they thinking? Like, is this Chapman screwing up, where he was, like, supposed to pull him into the van and then accidentally ran him over? Or was the whole... Was the whole plan hit a man with a car and just like hope <laughs> How it's did they okay? Get the secret service this is such chair. a fantastic, stupid Yerk moment. I really, really, genuinely love this. I will also point out that plot still is going to work. He is now awake. Yeah, he is awake in a hospital full of controllers. But the yep. controllers all ran away because they were afraid of the police. Uh, some of them are doctors and nurses. Chapman still has his minivan, doesn't he? <laughs> but like, you still have the second in command of the Secret Service having just woken up from a coma. Presumably he has some other injuries. They're going to keep mm-hmm. him under observation. Yeah. In a hospital full of doctors and nurses yeah. who are controllers. You know you what? You slip a your grade in there. I bet that she will help him get out before that. I bet he'll transfer to a hospital that doesn't have mosquitoes in it. <laughs> 
Yes. What do you think? Is it okay for them to morph him if he's in a coma? Margaret oh. makes the argument that it doesn't matter if they steal his identity if he's brain dead, which is a really messed <laughs> well, up thing. And then they just, just never Brussels sprout later on. He's like, Marco. Yeah, that was, that was no, pretty heartless. Marco, pretty sit down. They start the question of like, you know, Cassie's like, we shouldn't morph him. We decided we're not going to morph humans. Mm -hmm. And then she comes up with this way where maybe they could do it. And they just never finish their debate. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they get sucked into space and they don't have to finish their debate. Mm -hmm. So it just doesn't really happen. One thing that I thought was interesting in that Cassie mentions. So when they're having this debate of like the ethics of morphing what's his face Aldershot the third well Axe is like well I morphed Jake and you were cool with that and oh, Cassie that was, was like interesting. that's okay that you morphed Jake because you're not human right. and like Cassie where's the line here what is your yeah, logic like, why does that, that matter what does it matter isn't because I thought her hang up was just no morphing sentient beings because right. the dolphins were super intelligent but I guess not. Cassie, you're shifting the goalposts on me here. Well, she does follow that up with, Axe, you're not human, so maybe it's okay. Besides, Jake would have given his permission if he hadn't been infested with the Yerk. So she's kind of like, it's permission. And like, we know he would have given permission. Yeah, that's true. I sort of yeah. buy that in that case. Yeah. Yeah, but I actually... Jake would definitely have. <laughs> she like has the power of attorney when Jake is Right. He would definitely give it to Cassie. Yeah. If you give, like, no. I mean, I feel like a lot of us would be like, yes, Cassie can have this. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's true. Absolutely true. I feel um, like my personal ethics about more, like a human morphing another human are like, I mean, I, I do it. Like, <laughs> I don't think it's particularly... Because when you morph something else, it's not like you're generating a whole fresh consciousness, right? You just get no, the No, I mean, I think it's animal. somewhat like physically invasive. Like, I would be creeped out by someone walking around just in my body. I feel yeah. like it's, it's oh, a right, low-level thing, and if yeah. they mm-hmm. needed to do it, like, for a really crucial mission-related thing, I like, think they could do it. Even in, but, like, two yeah. books ago, I think, was the, we break into AOL by yeah. morphing a human. That like, the slippery slope is already here. It's like, yeah. Yeah. They're like, well, we didn't do it then, but maybe the stakes are higher here, and, mm-hmm. you know, he's unconscious forever, you know, like... <laughs> I do think that one nice thing um, that kind of puts a a bit of a button on that is the Lyran conversation that we talked about recently, Mm -hmm. where they actually, the Lyrans read Cassie's Mm -hmm. mind, Mm -hmm. which is pretty invasive. (laughs) (laughs) And they say, you do not like to morph sentient creatures, you respect our freedom, but we offer you this freely. So carry our DNA, help to free our people from the Yerks. So they're very straightforward about that. Like, this is why you don't want to do it. You respect our freedom, but we are offering this to you. And I really like that as a, we have decided consent is what we do. Yeah. And here Enthusiastic is an example. consent. And yet they don't seem, their culture doesn't seem to have any concept of consent for reading each other's minds. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like they it would sort it. of be for us like, you know, oh, you didn't consent for me to look at your face? What? That's right. not a thing you need to consent to. Like, yeah. I mm-hmm. feel like that's just that's normal really... for them. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure that they have different... I would like to read the Lyran Chronicles as well. Of like, oh, yeah. here is how we have, like, it's the It's all written and underlined. <laughs> yes. And, like, like also, I would just love to spend more time on Lyra. Yeah, I love this, like underwater like well didn't we decide they were spending a few weeks there wasn't that a <laughs> no, but it's, what I it's amazing there's such so like the city they go to you named out this earlier the city of worms yeah uh-huh. and it's because it's this cool underwater city and i think they pump air into it with yeah. giant fans and they have these mm-hmm. like skyscrapers that are full of air bubbles and stuff the skyscrapers but, look like dairy queen cones with holes poked in. yeah, yeah everything Cassie is pink it it's as... mostly pink but there are these blue 70 foot long worms that are just swimming in a circle around the city and the worms like 
get electric power from these like coral things. Mm-hmm. It's just so cool. It's like yeah. really interesting, fun, like sci-fi place to hang out. Can I read the I passage the where bits. they describe the city of worms? Yes. Sure. Yeah. The Lyran city rose from the seabed like a wondrous tower, perhaps half a thousand feet wide at its base, dwindling to a few dozen feet at the very top. The top pressed right against the sparkling water ceiling up wait, to the wait, border wait. between sea and sky. Were those our feet? Or <laughs> oh, my feet. Those were Lyran <laughs> feet. Lyran feet? Lyran Whoa, feet. okay. They don't even have feet. Go on. <laughs> they do their web. At the very top, huge fans sucked in air and blew out exhaust from the entire city. The city itself violated every logical law, at least as far as Andalites or humans were concerned. Andalites and humans are accustomed to moving in two dimensions, left and right, forward and back. But in the water, up and down were just as likely as left or right. It looks like a gigantic Dairy Queen cone poked full of a million holes, Cassie said. Look, doors everywhere. Windows and doors all the same. Yeah, the predominant color was pink, but there's blue and green and purple as well, in vast swatches of seemingly random color. I want. I want to know how Lyrans do art. How does a completely telepathic brain Ooh. imagination sharing art? species mm-hmm. talk? Yeah, what's their performance <laughs> culture like? Uh, what do they think about when they're doing painting? How do they decide on oh, colors yeah. for their city? I do you love just like Lyrans. think an interesting thing and then watch your people? <laughs> I guess, <laughs> and they they think likes at you. Oh <laughs> yes, little. But like arts. when they like, do they have mind song? They they do have like spoken speech. Well, they, they have and, this no, their like, speech is in images, which yeah. your brain translates mm-hmm. into your local mm-hmm. tongue, right? And so I like they, how they have the, an actually non linguistic language. I would just like to um, say that I'm very worried about this Lyran city, mm-hmm. which rises from the seabed like a wondrous tower mm-hmm. and is. Quite near to the continent, they oh. say that, that all this is. <laughs> oh no! no. Has bo- oh, first no. of all, the continent has blown up. So uh-huh. there's the pollu- there are the there's the debris from the explosion. Uh-huh. Now, I know that probably water currents don't work quite the same as say gravity, uh-huh. but if you have a continent anchored to the seabed in the middle of your ocean, even if it's just a small part of the ocean, and your cities are around it, and then that big central thing is gone, <laughs> I imagine that a lot well, of currents are... vaporized. God, no, exploded. but it's got... It, it's no longer intact in its mm, in yeah. the same mm-hmm. amount of, like, mass. Mm. And there are so, definitely, like, major shockwaves. There's going to be shockwaves. There's going to be oh, tsunamis. Right. Earthquakes, earthquakes are going to come. Yep. And maybe different... There, maybe there's going to be temperature fluctuations now because the currents are different. They're... I just yeah. don't think this is a great idea. It's probably not you great. Know, it's, it's beautiful worth it for saving them all from the Yerks. But at what cost? I think they would say it's worth it. They seem to be willing to give what they could to the fight. That's true. Yes. The Lyrans are very chill. I just oh, want yeah. to hang out with them. I they want do. them to be okay. Do you okay. want them to read your mind? I mean, I feel like if a Lyran read my mind, they'd be very respectful and wouldn't tell anybody. It's true. Anything embarrassing is awesome. I feel fine. like if you like if it happened and they didn't hate you, that would actually be, oh, that'd be really a huge yeah. relief. Yeah. Oh, they'd be like, really validating. Yeah. I bet Lyrans would make great psychologists. Oh wow! Yeah, my favorite. I, I, I want just a Lyran. I want a Lyran therapist. Sitting in front of the Lyran, and they're just like, no, no. <laughs> they just no, get up and walk no away. No better. <laughs> it's like you be playing cold, like hot and cold. cold. Exactly. Like, you're like, I just feel like they're like, no, you no. don't. No, colder, <laughs> colder. Still lying. Come on, Still come lying. on. Give me the truth. <laughs> Go deeper. Uh, I would be worried, as Axe is worried, that 
I could feel enough of their secrets to be embarrassed for them, and of course for myself, because my own secrets, my vain little ideals, my pretensions, were all open to them as well. That reminded me of Jake's moment in the when Tamarash is rooting for his brain, and Jake is like, he can see everything. That very dumb fantasies. Yeah, Yeah. that really exposed feeling. Dreams. So I want to talk about the Axe and Jake. Oh, yeah. Uh, stuff Let's in this talk book, about Axe Which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we mentioned before, like, Axe, when he gets, when he meets the Andalites, he has this, like, moment where he's, like, he basically starts giggling. He's like, oh, my God, Andalites. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then he, he immediately unprinces Jake in front of the Animorphs. Uh-huh. And that's Just what. Just dumps him. That's what sort of, like, makes them offended. Throws Jake straight begin, in the garbage. Right. But then when things start to go wrong, when he realizes that the captain is a traitor, when he's crying out for the Animorphs, he's like, Prince Jake, right? So, <laughs> so without kind of realizing it, he's gone yeah. back to it. And then he yeah. has that amazing moment when he, he like pledges yeah. his loyalty mm-hmm. once and for all. And I feel like he never really left. He never, in his hearts, he never really truly abandoned Prince Jake. He just did. Way to he, use the plural hearts. I gotta, I gotta. He does. Respect him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Even when he's like, after he dumps the team and goes off to be with the other Andalites on the bridge, which, by the way, I love how Andalite ships have grass on the floor. It's such a good wonderful. Detail, yeah. It's a great detail. But even when he's standing on the bridge, he he feels like he should be more in the moment and just focused on all this new yeah. snazzy technology around him. But all he can think about is like a joke that Marco would make about the new hologram screens and being cutting edge. Being, yeah, <laughs> being cutting edge, very cutting edge, as Marco might say. And he's like, "Why?" Well, I'm. Yes, there you go. <laughs> He's um, like, yeah, he's really one telling the whole shipping. time. Yeah, and then also, he's I think like, neither of them's quite there yet. Not but there. Yeah. getting towards there. But yeah, and then he's like, you know, I should be like even surrounded by my people again. I found my thoughts drifting to a small room yeah. off of the medical wing or whatever it is. He's still thinking about them because he's still loyal to them, even though he's trying to do his duty right now. Because it's it's a lot of pressure off of him if he gets to just go back into the yeah. command structure that he was in before he got stranded on Earth. But it's rough because he doesn't really fully belong in either place right yeah. now. So what I love about this dynamic is that Jake finally gets it. He finally gets what it means for Axe. Mm-hmm. And he, he's like, I, just, I love this moment when he embraces being Prince Jake. Yeah. Because Axe apologizes. Um, he says... All I can do is say I'm sorry, and I will consider Jake my prince until he says otherwise. I turn to face Prince Jake, focusing all my eyes on him. You are my prince until you, and only you, say otherwise. For once, he did not say, don't call me prince. (laughs) Instead, he said, fine. Mm -hmm. Right? And so he he now has realized that, like, this is a power he wields over Axe. It's not just an embarrassing title. Yeah. And then moments later, he's like, okay, Jake's like, whatever happens, we're going to stay out of battle till we reach the the commander. Mm -hmm. And Axe is like, yes, Prince Jake. And then Prince Jake looked at me with an unsmiling mouth. Then he said, don't call me Prince. And formed a small smile with his mouth part. Yes. <laughs> because he's 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 confident enough to go right back yeah. to it. Except he's now, like, this is our bit. <laughs> now he understands what Axe needs from him, and he's yeah. never gonna let Axe go. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. he's it is like the great Jake the General moment mm-hmm. where he's like, yeah. I know how to play this now. I also particularly like Jake as he and Axe have been now they're the last two left and they're uh-huh. going through <laughs> to find this cave. Focus. It's so good. And Jake is giving him instructions. Yes, Prince Jake, I said. 
Jake replies, you know, X, there's just the two of us now. We could probably drop the whole Prince thing. You could just call me the Jake formerly known as Prince. (laughs) And then I laughed so hard. That is... So good. It's it's just as good as the Andalite joke. It's like so funny. It's the culmination of so much. It's it's just like the um, stop hammerhead time. (laughs) It is exactly cultural designed for exactly the same kind of humor. People who are not listening to the hip music, they are listening to a generation (laughs) back, Uh like the authors. So then later, Axe is like, "So is that humor?" and Jake's like, yeah, sort of. Not not very good. Sorry. Aww. And then later, um, Axe is with all of the Inwarfs. They're mm-hmm. back. And Jake's like, don't call me Prince. And Axe says, I will call you the Jake formerly known as Prince. <laughs> Marco made a horrified <laughs> face. Oh, no. Now he's making jokes. Bad, bad jokes. Actually, that was my joke. Prince Jake said stiffly. Oh, fine. I get it. You can't laugh at my joke. Okay, great. I don't even care. <laughs> I love, like, this glimpse at the Jake-Marco friendship dynamic. Because I feel like as Jake sinks deeper and deeper and deeper into committing to be their leader and their general mm-hmm. where he's losing more of the sense of humor mm-hmm. that we've seen from him which i feel like he spends so much time being serious we don't see him make jokes really mm-hmm. and so it's really well, we see him try we see him try <laughs> we see this boy try there's so many times actually in this like well the early on there's a really great like they're all giving synonyms. The Visser's yanking your chain, Rachel said. Messing with your mind, Cassie agreed. <laughs> Jerking you around, Tobias said. <laughs> Trying to baffle you with... Oh, never mind. Prince takes <laughs> He just couldn't come up with another one. Just... Yeah, I love... This is one of my favorite Jake things. Like, to me, the, the two Jake formerly known as Prince moments at the end are just, like, so good. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite Jake jokes ever. Yeah. But I also... It reminds me of the bit when... Um, I don't know if it's like they're all turning cockroaches for the first time when, like... Jake says something snarky to Marco, and Marco responds, and then he's like, wait, you can hear me? And he's like, no, but I know you. It's the same kind of thing where he hears the joke, and he knows the kind of lame joke that Jake would make, so he's like, oh, that's a bad joke. He somehow has this, like, sixth sense. But I also love how you see this with mostly with Jake, a little bit with Cassie, too, as the others start disappearing. Jake and Cassie sort of start taking on, like, the roles and conversations that the others would have taken. Oh. Like, you see Jake starting to make more jokes, especially with, like, Prince not glued, however mm-hmm. we actually say it. Galloway, yeah. <laughs> Prince, Prince Galloway, he, he, like, keeps making jokes, and he's making the sort of dark jokes that Marco would have been he making is. if he were there, but Marco's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. He totally is. And I think, I forget what Cassie does, but it's the same sort of thing where, like, they're sort of stepping up to fill those conversational roles. Mm-hmm. I think Marco one, oh. does the same thing, too, where he says, um, since Rachel's not here, I'll oh. be the one to say oh. it. Let's yeah. go. They're yeah. sort of subbing for each other in this. Mm-hmm. And this I like how roles. they're so they're so tight that they can do that mm-hmm. with each other. They all know each other's role in the team so well. Yeah. Also, I love how Cassie geeks out over the biodiversity on oh, Lyra. Yeah. Even though they're in the middle of this life or death race to this to do all this crazy right. She's stuff. She's just lost Rachel, mm-hmm. but uh-huh. even so. Yeah. The plants, man. <laughs> this might be an environment completely without predators. Like all that's that pretty stuff. cool. The sort of alternate energy yeah, sources. It is. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Apple. This one is uh, also the one where we learn that uh, mosquitoes are the greatest mass murderers on planet Earth. <laughs> that was <laughs> yeah. such a brutal take from Axe. Like, <laughs> I mean, it, it's accurate. <laughs> it's but accurate. Yikes. Yeah. And now, just like I love imagining Axe like in human morph at the library or. <laughs> Like reading a book about animals, <laughs> trying to learn more. Oh, yeah. And I love, so yeah. Axe is like, he wants to write a book one day, you know, like when he's too old <laughs> to be a warrior. Aww. And this reminded me of Gray's theory that like 
Too old to be a warrior is probably like 25. Because <laughs> all the important roles in Andalite society are filled by like the youth. And then they just retire to their scoops. So it's like being a professional athlete a or something. Right. right. So like this grizzled commander, you know, Gallivant or whatever, mm-hmm. is probably like 27. Like, you know, really this is probably why Axe thought he was old enough to get a job at the Cinnabon. Oh, God. <laughs> right. That was, which we should talk about. So that was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, I said, making mouth sounds with my human mouth. I will work for money. And then later on, I will perform labor, labor, and to have you give me money. Then I wish to use that money to acquire delicious cinnamon buns. <laughs> Bunza. I wish that was how I could write like every cover letter. <laughs> Hello. I would like this job. Job. <laughs> I will work for money. That's it. He's, I will perform labor. <laughs> use the money to purchase cinnamon, cinnamon buns. Access. This boy is so smart. He has boiled down, you know, economics to their just base, the base yeah. level. Like a true space communist. Yeah. That's what the envelopes are. Yeah. It's all He's for the like, people. this is how humans do it. I'm going to do it this way. Yeah. He's so pro. Because, as he says before that passage he mm-hmm. just read, I am very good at passing for human, if I say so myself. Mm-hmm. I have learned the customs and habits perfectly, so is that he? I seem entirely normal. I love his confidence. <laughs> Who is he bragging to? <laughs> the other Israelites who are reading this, yeah, who won't yeah. be able to tell, because they don't know that this is weird. Uh-huh. It's his journal home. It is. This is Earth Is he diary. self-aware? Like, is it a joke? I don't understand. I don't, I don't, think, I I don't think it's complex. a joke. I, I genuinely think he thinks that he's very good at passing for human. I, I really like the thing where um, he justifies his own mistakes mm-hmm. with regard to this. So the manager of this Cinnabon is like, I think you're underage, you can't hire you, but you can uh-huh. clear some tables. So he clears tables by eating the things on them. And then yep. he sees humans with cinnamon buns. Mm-hmm. He's like, aha, I'm clearing these tables. And the, the manager is like, no, no. You know what? You poor kid, you're so hungry. Here, this is a tray of cinnamon buns that have like gone kind of stale. Why don't you have one? And he's like, let me make one final point here. Human mouth sound language is very fuzzy at times. Have one, she'd said. One mouthful, one bun, one tray. (laughs) It was certainly not my fault if there was any confusion. Do you want to order something? The human said to me. I require money so that I may exchange it for the delicious cinnamon buns, I explained. (laughs) The human blinked his eyes. So you do want to order or you don't. Obviously, this was a less intelligent human. <laughs> <laughs> Axe, you precious idiot. <laughs> and then, apparently, yeah, Marco's like, so I was at the mall. God, there this was so paramedics. <laughs> and Axe is like, I felt I had to say something. I was not aware of the precise specifications for human stomachs, I explained. It seems there is some sort of limit on the quantity that may be consumed. Passing that limit caused an unpleasant sensation in the stomach area. (laughs) He has such a way with words. Oh my god. Speaking of Andalites eating things. Uh Mm Uh-huh. So he's axes running through the pastures of Cassie's ranch. Mm -hmm. It's a wet night. Rain was falling. The grass was wet and moist. I could feel my hooves picking up the worms that come out of the ground when it's wet. There would be extra protein in my diet, which was the last thing I needed. Too much protein keeps me awake. Okay, Uh couple things. (laughs) We have talked before about how their hooves are basically just straws, Uh right? Uh That that they can use to, for example, suck Dr. Pepper, for Uh example, out of a cup. So when he says, that he's picking up the worms. <laughs> mm-hmm. Does he mean that he is somehow sucking a worm up through his hoof and into his Did you ever sing that stomachs? song? Like the littlest worm I ever saw was stuck inside my soda straw. What? That was a camp song that I learned. 
Can you do, can you teach us? Please teach us the song. I is actually <laughs> call and response, but I feel you know we've been recording for a long time. I feel like we should. Uh, okay. Anyway, I thought that was real gross because otherwise he's just <laughs> squishing them up as he's walking over them and then sucking up the goo. Either yeah. way. I feel that andalites are herbivores, and it's weird that they're okay eating. It worms. was surprising. Yeah, mm-hmm. how much protein do they put in their diet, and where does it come from? Maybe there are little bugs on the ground in in the andalite homeworld. Also, they must eat bugs. Yeah, they must eat bugs. Like they're they're omnivorous. They're just stepping on stuff all the yeah. time. Slimy yet satisfying. <laughs> exactly. They there eat go. yurks. Oh God! Oh, no, no, that's, that's no. why. That's the reason okay. they want. I got a Tumblr ask about that once. It was really upsetting to think about. Let's move on. Let's move on. Anything else you want to say about the relationships? I, well, I wanted to read some more passages of Axe just having great observations about humans. Yes. They have Prince Jake looked at his watch. Humans are always lost in time. They are constantly certain that it is later or earlier than they thought. I have never known a human to say, oh, look, it's exactly what time I thought it was. <laughs> Prince Jake said, I was about to mention that Eric was late, but I guess it's still earlier than I thought it was. <laughs> you see what I mean. It's amazing. I love he, how he's like, so some, right. He is. Yeah. Sometimes his observations are just but they are exactly They're so right. good. My human friends attend school five days in a row, then do not attend for two days. They don't they do know why. why. <laughs> I love he's zoning out and Mark is like, Why aren't you listening to yes. me? And then X just like, please tell me a third time and I will pay attention. I feel like I've <laughs> so said that earnest. exact phrase to people before. Clothing is pliable fabric designed to cover the human body, sometimes as protection against the cold, but mostly, as I understand it, because humans believe much of their body to be unacceptable. They are right, of course, but they cover all the wrong parts. There is nothing uglier than a human nose. I wrote that part down, too, because I thought it was very good. Um, Wait, Axe, can you explain to me what chilling is? Yes. Uh, Marco and Rachel were just chilling. That's what humans call it. I believe it refers to the fact that when humans sit very still and do nothing, their body temperature drops. Thus chilling i mean he's not wrong yeah yeah i'd also like to point out this one amazing sentence that is not a particular observation or acts trying to be funny but out of context i think is one of the best sentences that have ever come out of anwarf's mm-hmm. book and would be a great like beginning to a story like in oh. that you know butler lion first sentence bad fiction contest right <laughs> so just imagine the first thing you're reading hundreds of times my length Millions of times my weight. Hewlett Aldershot III lay prone, oozing attractive aromas. <laughs> yes, God. Wow. Wow. There's nothing about Hewlett Aldershot III that did not traumatize me. <laughs> Visually, <laughs> reading about it. Aromatically. Oozing odors. sticky. <laughs> we haven't talked, we talked a lot about Jake. We haven't talked about the really wonderful show he puts on. I mean, I think it's genuine, but he's also like shown what he's about mm-hmm. to Prince, to Commander Gallowit. Mm-hmm. Gallowit oh, turned yeah, to speak yeah, to yeah. Prince Jake. I have need of you to save this planet from the Yerks. Will you? Yes, Prince Jake said. Mm-hmm. You say yes without knowing what I'm asking. Will it save the Lyrans? Will it keep them free? And most of all, will it hurt the Yerks? Yes to all three, especially the last. If we save Lyra, it may turn the tide of the war against the Yerks. Then we'll do it. Gallowit seemed surprised, maybe even impressed. In private thought speak, he said to me, I have known worse princes than this one. Yes. Which is no, really thank great. you for bringing that up. That's, that was <laughs> a very, very good moment. I love Really Gallowit. iconic Jake. Like, this yeah. is like Jake at his best. Mm-hmm. And Gallowit's a true bro. <laughs> He's an open-minded Andalite who's not it's betraying true. them. It's great. It's true. Right. Every warrior must have a prince to follow. No one is alone to themselves. We each must serve. Yeah, he gets it. He's like, yeah, I see what you're doing here. Yeah. 
We haven't really talked about um, Visser 3. Yeah, Visser, Visser 3 was kind of a footnote in this book. He was kind of there and gone. Although I was mad. Well, okay, first of all, one I one thing I wrote down was that I was very glad that he um, fell into a dumpster off the roof. <laughs> I was like, cool, that's where you belong. It's true. Yeah. You should just stay there. Yeah, just, exactly. Just stay there. But the reason that Axe gives later for not just advancing on him and murdering him is that he retreated with honor, and it's like, no, what? Because he's talking with Tobias, and then Tobias shoots back, honor? He's a cold-blooded killer, an invader in someone else's land. And it's like, yeah, Axe, why are you suddenly acting like Visser Three has any kind of honor at all? He doesn't. I think he's, like, putting himself down, kind of. Mm. Yeah, because he does rationalize, like, like, oh, he's, you know, he's much stronger and bigger than me. He could have, you know, wrecked my sh- I feel like it's but. also inconsistent because he said, like, I had a chance to destroy Visser 3 before, but I failed. So, yeah. like, that no, was his he... takeaway from sparing Alrin's life? Yeah. Like, come on. Did. It was a little more but nuanced than also, that. Also, I yeah. have now come around to don't kill Visser 3. If you kill oh. Visser 3, you might get someone actually competent in charge of the invasion of Earth. I am all yeah. about sparing Visser 3's life here, so I'm very glad he failed. I am. I think he should keep failing. The other thing, thing, when he's fighting Visser 3, Visser 3 is afraid. He doesn't actually want to go tail to tail because he doesn't think that he'll win or he mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. But that fear makes Axe excited. It's a really interesting yeah. side of him that doesn't come out a lot. Where he's like, oh, I get to be like a cool, tough warrior. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, like this is awesome. I, I feel kind of the power of intimidation. I feel like Axe that is, was really interesting. He is kind of an adrenaline junkie anyway. He's a, he's a jock. Mm, that's true. He, lo- like, he, like, yeah. he likes fighting. <laughs> And also, again, with that um, McDonald's rooftop showdown, <laughs> which is a very a yeah. very underrated scene in the as entire Animorph series. As they're demorphing both from birds, they start yelling at each other, yes. and they're like about to go tail. This is what I pick. This is why I want the animated series. Oh, I just yeah. it would look so cool. <laughs> but also, I wonder why V three doesn't recognize the family resemblance between <gasps> Axe and Elfangor like at all. You never said that's so true. They look. I, I don't know. If you see someone, you're not like, that's definitely the sibling of someone else. Like, some people look really similar. But... Maybe a Lauren would not. So before we move off of Visser 3, yeah. there's this uh, Tobias moment where he, he talks about uh, meeting Visser 3 for the first time, which mm-hmm. is really interesting. He says, like, it's like a dark cloud, like a smell almost. This feeling, I don't know another word for it. Like, I was looking at something that needed to be destroyed. He was evil. I felt it. And I had this horrible understanding, this knowledge that one way or the other, that that evil was going to touch me and change me. So I just cried. It's really intense. Yeah. Just, as much of a buffoon as Mr. Three is, it's also like yeah. Tobias manages to articulate how bad There's like, their situation is. I forget if this is a canon thing or if it's just in this good fanfic I've been reading called Demorphing. But she writes that that aura that Visser Three puts out is like a traditional Andalite sort of war song that Aloran yeah. was really good at. Yeah, I love and that. And that he's just cool. channeling yeah. that just all the time. Although cool. that's interesting because like it seems to tie into him being an abomination, and the yeah. idea that that like what makes him an abomination is an Andalite war song. Just, that's that's, that's cool, like, dark. like a real world like interpretation of what's otherwise yeah. a very mystical thing. It's like oh, he just yeah. feels bad. But it, like if it's an I aura mean, I that liked, he can consciously I liked, project, yeah, I liked I like Ted's that. thing where like if thought speak is partially like yes, just ideas. The idea that he's just, const- yeah, constantly just projecting sort of hate and horror and despair. Yeah. I mean, he would he would think that was so cool. Yeah. I also want to complain about the fact that we haven't met any Andalite women yet, as far as wow. Yeah. I uh, yeah. can and that's remember. A, that's and that the only one who's been mentioned, I think, is Alaran's wife, Jahar. Yep. Oh, and then Galadriel's dead wife. Right. 
Why? Why? Yeah, it's I don't it's know like if I it's not a rock to pod. Yet. You probably think, can't say anything. Can't yet. Say anything. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's that's annoying. I sure hope it comes up at some point. It is annoying. Yeah. Oh, the other annoying thing is that Galowitz's last name is Eskaroth, which is yeah. Axe's middle name, right? Yeah. So I thought and it was also, interesting to see. And there was a Cerenial. Like yeah, there's a Cerenial in the on the ship. Cerenial? Oh, no one knows his yeah, Cerenial. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe. Andalites, maybe they are binary, but maybe they all use male pronouns. Ooh. It all gets thought speak translated into male pronouns. So actually, don't like distinguish them. Or maybe they have, maybe it's not binary, but maybe when they get sorted, like all warriors are male and then all the politicians who we haven't <laughs> yeah, met Yeah, maybe yet what female. we're interpreting huh. as male pronouns are just the pronouns they use for warriors. It's giving too much credit. Huh. Though, yeah. That's true. I think we'll, we'll see. So should we discuss... In the time of dinosaurs. Oh, gosh. Gray is super excited about this. She's jumping okay. up. Why is it in the time of dinosaurs? I thought it was in the time of the dinosaurs. I thought so, too. I was reading the cover, and I was like, why does this cover have a word missing? This is a oh, Berenstain, no. Berenstain. Yeah, it's exactly the same thing. Yeah, except the copy I've had for 20 years doesn't have the the in it. I discovered this when I was typing up the titles <gasps> for our, like, read the books page on our website. I was like, wait, what? In the time what? of dinosaurs. In the time of dinosaurs. No, not no specific dinosaurs. In the time of dinosaurs. Just it's some dinosaurs. Just in the time of dinosaurs. That it's cover is magnificent. The cover. In this bananas cover. <laughs> oh, yeah. If they had had to move the title into two lines, <laughs> they'd have had to do something else with this face. Can you try? Can you describe <laughs> it accurately? Describe the covers. This is Megamorph's tomb, and so you see what they've tried to do is they've tried to create a cover that has weight. Is it because they've all morphed into one giant megamorph? I'm really that's my prediction. <laughs> How else are you going to be the dinosaur? They've they've got six Question. different animal patterns on this cover. And they also have six pairs of eyes embedded in with these different animal sort of designs. Now, you might think that a designer would have put a pair of eyes with each single animal <laughs> pattern. Did they? That is not the choice okay. that they've made here. Instead, what they have done is just kind of smooshed all the different animal patterns <laughs> together and put the eyes kind of... Not randomly exactly, but it's like two sets of eyes at the top above the cover, one in the middle, two at the bottom, and another in the middle. It's not a great design. It's very confusing. So a megamorph is like a, a fleshy, fuzzy wall with like 12 eyes? <laughs> I mean, it's basically it's like one of those cherubim from Wind in the Door. Or it's like one of those womp blocks from Mario, but just covered in weird fur. It's like a patchwork design. <laughs> Or it's Cassandra from Doctor Who. Oh, right. oh, oh no. Can you identify what animals are patterned? Okay, so on the front cover, there is a giraffe. Mm-hmm. There's, I'm going to go with maybe that's a wolf. This and that both seem like big cats, like uh, cheetahs and leopards and such. There's another one in here that I, it's some kind of fur. Those are probably Rachel's eyes, so let's go with that's a bear. Uh, that's a cheat I already said. There's a tiger. There's a bird. There's a zebra. There is a fish, fish? scales. I maybe maybe that's supposed to be snake. Snake crocodile. It looks fish like to me. Uh, so already this cover doesn't have a morph on it, but is still real disturbing. Like well done, you guys. So, um, so this is this is very helpful, right? It's mm-hmm. very helpful as usual. All right. So megamorphs, as we know from the first megamorphs, is each character has their own chapter. Not evenly distributed, mm, and not in a pattern. To watch that. And uh, in the time of the dinosaurs, so I'm 
real excited for this book, you guys. They're going to travel back in time. They're going to meet some dinosaurs. I hope that my original Megamorphs prediction eventually comes true, where they figure out how to all morph together into one big animal, but I don't think that's actually going to happen. I think they are somehow accidentally going to go back in time, maybe. Somehow, but what? which of the four methods? So I'm thinking maybe they're at the construction site, mm. and they're finally digging a hole next to where the mm-hmm. mall is. Maybe they're going to put in a new parking lot, mm-hmm. and they turn out this big sphere, and the Yerk technology that detects foreign whatever the heck mm-hmm. is like goes off. And they're like, ooh, we better go find that. And they do. And they put their hands on it. And Marco is like, dinosaurs. Do <laughs> 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 you think Marco's the one who would do that? I think it's Marco. <laughs> okay. All right. And so because they all have their hands on it, they all use the time matrix. And they go back in time to the time of the dinosaurs kind of by accident. And then they have to figure out how to get home oh. and uh maybe a year follows them or something oh. but okay i'm like real excited Slug, like squinching along yeah <laughs> well it like also no, attached yeah. to the time dinosaur controller are dinosaur brains complex enough to take a year they're big enough Oh, no, but their brains are really small. Oh, I don't no. know some of the raptors are. Hmm. Oh my god, raptor controller. I'm very excited for all of this. I love dinosaurs. I can't wait. I'm well, that's excited for you. Great. Can't wait to do yeah. that. I don't know if it'll be next time because we might do our mailbag episode next time, but next book. Next book. Dinosaurs. If you want to find us, we are at animorphology.com and at animorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the books on our website. So do you guys want to learn the song about the worm? Yes! Yes. The littlest worm, the The littlest littlest worm worm I ever saw, I I ever saw, saw. was stuck inside, was stuck inside, my soda straw, my soda straw. And then we all do this together, but you don't know yet. It's the The littlest worm I ever saw, saw, was stuck inside, my soda straw. Can I tell you a true story? I love children's songs in which animals die. (laughs)